This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes! Welcome everybody to our second Spring series episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky. Really excited to be back at you with another episode after a two-week hiatus. And with me, of course, to go through everything that's gone on and a lot more, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. I am, you know, these two-week breaks between episodes. I miss you guys. Elon, I miss you the most. No offense to anybody listening, uh, but I'm so pumped rejuvenated, rested, ready to go with some really, I think we've got some really good takes coming up on this show, including follow-ups on takes that uh, may or may not have been good when they were originally made. When we created our almanac, we're about to start parsing. We're like, we're honest. We're honest people. We want to see how we did. We projected things. We don't just want to sweep it all under the rug. We're going to talk about it, what we got right, what we got wrong, how we can do better. That's all coming up through the spring and summer series. Yeah, okay, we've got a lot to get. That was a lot there, Brian. But yeah, the plan for today is we're going to first talk a bit about what's gone on in the NHL playoffs over the last couple of weeks. What we like to do on Keeping Carlson is not only give our takes on the playoffs, but see like what we can glean from what's happening in terms of fantasy for next year and moving forward. So we'll try to pick little fruits from what we've seen and see if any of that will give us advice on what we should be doing for next year. Then, like Brian said, so last summer, just as a recap, we recorded the world's first ever NHL audio almanac where we went through every single team and came up with our own projection for every single player that we thought would be fantasy relevant. Uh, I think the top scoring player that we didn't list in the Almanac was Dylan Strom. So that was our big miss, I guess, of the Almanac. But almost every fantasy relevant player aside from him was discussed. And yes, yeah, so I think the plan for starting today and throughout the summer series for the next few episodes, we're just going to be going through some of our projections, seeing what we got right, what we got wrong, what we learned, what we think will change for next year. You know, we're going to try to really break it down. And then maybe by the end of it all, we'll record a new almanac and the cycle will begin anew. Brian, of course, before we get into everything, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. They're with you. It doesn't matter if it's the spring series, the regular season, the summer series. They're coming at you with new articles every single day. I'm at the site right now, 21 Fantasy Hockey Rambles. So, you know, even in the summer series, they're giving you everything they have like new articles all the time like i said plus i use the tools all the time to prep the show at frozen tools we've got an article here about nikita gusev we definitely have to talk about him at some point in their uh, prospects report a lot going on dabberhockey.com it's fantastic i'm really proud that we're being presented by them but okay i'd like to get started by talking about the carolina hurricanes who have now swept the new york islanders right how crazy is it the islanders sweep 
the Penguins, and then Carolina sweeps the Islanders. So what does that mean about how Carolina would have compared to the Penguins in a playoff series? Um, I don't know. That is a really funny question to ask, right? If A is better than B and B is better than C, then isn't A better than C? It, like, or it could be like rock, paper, scissors, right? Where each team could beat the other, but is beaten by... I, I would love to to give you uh, a really – I would love to see it happen. I'd love to see a Carolina-Pittsburgh playoff series. I can tell you, like, we, we when we broke down the, Carol, uh, the Pittsburgh Islanders series uh, from the first round, we talked about how it was goaltending. Like, it was a pretty close series, and goaltending was the difference. Uh, the Islanders got it. The Penguins didn't. And it was actually – the same story for Carolina, New York Islanders. Uh, the Hurricanes and Islanders offenses clicked at similar rates. They both looked uh, roughly equal in terms of being dangerous. And uh, each side's goaltenders were a different story. And Elon, what what is story in Carolina with Mrazek going down? And then McElhaney coming in. What did you think of that? Yeah, so it's really funny. Yeah, and like you say, sort of uh, how both teams had different abilities to score. Not so much in the first game, right? A one nothing overtime game. I think that was the first one we'd seen of that in the playoffs. But yeah, the goaltending situation in Carolina is so, so interesting. Brian, do you remember this debate that we had a couple weeks? Well, I don't remember, into the season when Curtis McElhaney got traded to the Carolina Hurricanes from the Leafs. Or was he traded or was I he waived? He was claimed off waivers. Yeah, okay. Whatever it was, he got there. I messaged you saying, oh, Oh, maybe McElhenney will uh, be decent on Carolina. He doesn't have as much competition. You like uh, flamed me. You were so mad at me. You were like, we had like a friendship crisis over it because I was really rude to you about <laughs> it. Like I was like, I'm not gonna think about Curtis McElhenney until I like this is nothing new is going to happen with Curtis McElhenney. And we've, we're always trying to figure out the Carolina goalies. Like, I was so frustrated and I didn't want to do it. And then I was rude to you and I hurt your feelings and <laughs> told me. And yeah, and then I apologized. It was, it was a stressful time for us. Yeah, well, the thing is, your apology means nothing to me. What means something <laughs> to me is the fact that I was right, I guess. But of course, it was the 2018-19 season of goaltending. So everything was up. And, uh, what's up was down. You know the saying. But anyways, yeah, so let's look at what happened here. So McElhenney has taken over from Mrazek. He won three straight games. We came in relief in game two. And he stopped 71 of 75 shots overall for a 947 save percentage in three straight wins. Curtis McElhenney is going to the conference finals. Maybe, right? Because actually Peter Morazic is supposed to be healthy. He was like practicing with the team. It's possible that he'll be available to play in game one. So it'll be an interesting decision for the coaching staff in Carolina to decide which goalie to go with. Morazic's had a kind of interesting playoff. So if you recall, Carolina you know, surprised the Washington Capitals in the first round in seven games. The three games that Carolina lost, Morazic was pretty bad. He was below 900 save percentage all three of those games that they lost. But in the four games that Carolina won, Morazic was amazing. So I guess he was, you know, good. As long as you're good for four out of seven games, then that's all you need to go all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, right? So now Morazic, he was also great in game one. Like I said, it was a one nothing overtime win. So he got a shutout, stopping 31 shots. And then he was injured in game two. He let in a goal on 10 shots. And I told you what McElhenney did. Morazic could be ready to go for the next round. If you were the coach, who would you play? Uh, if I were the coach, I would go back to Peter Morazic. Although I think it's really more a matter. We need to look at how well Carolina is protecting their goalies. And they're doing a really good job of it. Uh, the Hurricanes have the lowest five-on-five expected goals against per 60 minutes. Of all remaining teams, uh, the only teams lower than them were Vegas, Winnipeg and Tampa, who all got knocked out in the first round. So you're wondering, well, why did why did Carolina survive if all these teams are playing such good defense at five on five? Uh, well, Vegas, Winnipeg, and Tampa had three of the four worst penalty kills 
uh, in the playoffs. So that's the reason uh, why they didn't survive while Carolina hung on through the first round. Um, so that's helping their goalies, that uh, Carolina is giving them a lot of protection. But Curtis McElhaney is also really helping himself. Like, we need to give him credit, as I've been uh, reluctant to do the whole season, right from that very first moment he was grabbed by the Canes because this is Curtis McElhaney. We know who he is. He's been around forever. Uh, we've seen him have these brief hot runs and then just, you know, turn back into your average slash slightly below average NHL backup. But so far, his performance in the playoffs is amazing. He is outperforming his expected save percentage to an extent that no other goalie is even close to doing in the playoffs so far this year. Of course, it doesn't mean so much in a two and a half game sample, but at least McElhaney is up to the task coming in cold and shutting the door then and then uh, continuing to do so in the next couple games after that. And it's just like it's it's rich, Elon, isn't it? That this Carolina team, which has been kneecapped by their goalies for years and years and years, you look at Cam Ward and the other options they tried, Anton Hudobin, Justin Peters, Eddie Lack, and most recently Scott Darling. And now uh, they're getting brick wall performances in crucial games from none other than Petr Mrazek and Curtis McElhaney, who don't seem distinguishable from the rest of the goalies in the list that I just rhymed off of goalies who have been the Achilles heel of Carolina all these years. But uh, team defense is also an aspect here, but also tip your hats to Mrazek and McElhaney. Uh, and again, the series with the Islanders which, uh, was not as one-sided as a sweep made it look. It's just that Robin Lehner uh, in the other crease, he turned into a pumpkin after game one. He was an 877 goalie in games two through four. And uh, I mean, it's hard for any team to succeed when uh, their goalie starts playing at that level. Uh, the Islanders were relying on Robin Lehner essentially to be a 930 goalie all season long. 877 is a pretty far swing away from being a 930 goalie. So that's, that's a little much. But honestly, even if he, Robin Lehner was just a league average goalie, the Islanders would not have been where they were during the regular season. I'm not sure that an average Robin Lehner still would have been enough to beat the Carolina Hurricanes. And then you look at what the Canes had in net on the opposite side. 978 team save percentage at five on five, 957 in all situations. Essentially, Carolina Islandered the Islanders in the second round. And that's how they got, uh, that's how they're getting to the conference finals. That was like so interesting. Such an, like, great spiel with so many interesting facts and figures. But I don't think you answered my question, or maybe you did and you didn't say why. So you'd think that they should still go back to Morazic for the next round, even though McElhenney's on such an amazing hot streak? You know, I, I part of me wonders if it even matters. It didn't seem to matter much in the regular season, although Morazic eventually did win the job, and that's the only reason I'd go back to him. Yeah. I think it, it's great for them that they swept the series, so they might have a, a couple extra rest days to see where Morazic can get. Only if Morazic is 100%. If he's 80 or 90% and limited in his movement at all, I would absolutely go McElhaney. Uh, it seems like they can win with either guy in net, which is just a wild thing to say. Uh, so it, it, to me, it's not even a huge question. Like, I don't care who Carolina goalie is in round three. I just care about what the Carolina offense does to score and what the defense does to protect them. 
Yeah, that's like it's wild. It's gonna be really fun. Of course, we have to wait and see who they're gonna play between Boston and Columbus. It's three two for Boston right now. They're playing again tomorrow. The crazy thing, also, just sticking with the Carolina net. Forgive me, everybody. It's just not such an interesting topic, and it gets more interesting because both of these goalies are unrestricted free agents next year, like in the off season. Like Carolina could have two whole new goalies next year. So Morazic, he had a nine fourteen save percentage overall on the season. McElhenney nine twelve. So they were both solid also in the regular season. Not like amazing, but definitely better. Like you said, Brian, than all the other goalies they've been trying for the last few years. I feel like we're going to have to discuss at some point, both of these guys are going to get signed, maybe by the Hurricanes, maybe by another team. And then we're going to have to discuss how we think they'll do somewhere else. It'll be really fun to discuss McElhaney because, Brian, I, of course, knew he was going to be good because he was my hero from the 2017-18 Cup full playoffs where he got me a crucial win while he was on the Leafs to help lead me to a championship. So that's why I knew he would be good. But obviously you didn't have the same experience with him. So that's yeah. why you... Well, the, the funniest yeah. part is that the like the Leafs, you know, who are out of the playoffs saying, oh, Curtis McElhaney is still playing. We should have kept him. It's like... It's a, doesn't matter if McElhaney, like, Leafs fans, you can relax. It doesn't matter if McElhaney stayed in Toronto. He wasn't playing a playoff game, right? It, it wasn't going to matter, although maybe he would have played a little more often to rest Freddie Anderson, and maybe that would have made a difference. And maybe uh, McElhaney wouldn't have been this good in Toronto either. Who knows? Who knows? Don't worry about it. I mean, probably now going into next year, the Leafs could always try to reverse their decision and they could sign McElhenney to be their backup again. I think that'll make a lot of people happy. And I don't really want to get into too much Leafs talk this episode. They've been covered to death ever since they got beat in Game 7 by the Bruins. Uh, We could probably have a long, fun discussion about Jake Gardner versus uh, Morgan Riley, who's the better defenseman. And, you know, lots of fun debates there on our Facebook group. So you can go to our Facebook group and tag Ian in a comment and you could discuss all of the Leafs defensive issues there. Sticking with the Hurricanes, I feel like we did this once in the regular season, Brian. We had a whole episode where we started like the first 30 minutes just of Kane's talk because there was so much going on. But the crazy thing with them, not only have they been getting this goaltending, their leading scorer in the playoffs right now is not Sebastian Ajo. And nothing against Ajo. He's been great. He has nine points in 11 games. Their leading scorer right now after two rounds is Jacob Slavin. He has 11 assists in 11 games. This guy has been so great. And he had that stretch in the regular season where he went on this amazing run. And you actually said, "Eh, he probably won't keep it up. And for the most part, you were right. But now once again, just tearing it up in the playoffs. Anyone who grabbed Jacob Slavin in the last round of their playoff pool is loving life right now. Dougie Hamilton was a decent pick. Seven points in 11 games. Nothing to sneeze at. Justin Falk actually has been pretty solid. Six points in 11 games. But neither of them are even near producing what Jacob Slavin is doing. No. So uh, so way to go, Jacob Slavin, who is averaging 26 and a half minutes a night and some of that is because uh, like he played 38 minutes one game uh, like overtimes are are increasing average times on ice uh, but also Slavin is really playing a lot and he's playing more than he was in the regular season regular season he still had a big role like uh, he was up to about 22 23 minutes a night uh, at his peak during the regular season but he's still taking on more uh, in the postseason Slavin's also getting a couple minutes of power play time, uh, which has yielded him a couple points. Uh, Looking at the comparison between, like, is he doing anything different in the postseason than he was in the regular season? His race stats are up a bit. And from watching him, I'll be honest, I didn't watch, I can probably count the number of Carolina games on one hand during the regular season that I watched. But watching him now, I feel we're seeing a little more creativity from him, like some swagger than we've seen in the past. So, like, I could get with uh, Slavin maybe raising his stock from a 30-point player, which is what he's been, to maybe a 35-point guy. It's, but the the bad news for him is there's no imminent openings on that Carolina blue line uh, for him to sort of sneak into. You know, you've got Hamilton, 
Falk, everybody on that blue line is still under contract through to at least the end of 2019-2020. But Slavin, uh, 25 years old, is currently the Hurricanes' longest contract commitment at defense or forward. So they like the guy. I imagine they'll want his role to keep growing, especially the way he's performing in these playoffs. And I think best case scenario is Slavin gets sort of like a Jacob Truba like edit as his career continues. Yeah, I definitely could see that. That's actually a fun comparison. I think Truba's better in fantasy because he gets more hits and blocks, but Slavin, yeah, could be a guy that you might want to look at now late in fantasy drafts. It seems like he's really being relied on by this Carolina team. Slavin's doing pretty good for blocks too. Like even as a 30 point defenseman, he was worth streaming in categories leagues where blocks were counted. So uh, those are still coming. Those are still a part of his game. So uh, yeah, if he can sneak into 35 point territory, then in deeper leagues, he could become draftable. Yeah, I mean, who would you draft between Falk and Slavin in a league for next year? I feel like it's pretty close. Like, Falk had an okay season. He held on to the top power play, surprisingly. We thought it would be Dougie Hamilton's job. I feel like I'd rather have Slavin. He seems like a more reliable guy. He gets more minutes. Yeah, and me, I'd go for ceiling. I'd go for Justin Falk and all the shots he puts on net and the, uh, the, the potential because he is still on the top power play. Yeah. True, true. We'll see if he holds on to that next season. Yeah, this Caroline team. You look at their scores. Warren Fogle, nine points in 11 games. The rookie, Jordan Stahl. Uh, I love to see him get points, Brian. I was uh, thinking of drafting him in the second round of our couple winners playoff pool. Then I went with Joe Thornton and said, I, I guess that probably will work out okay for me, depending on what San Jose does with these extra games. But uh, Jordan Stahl's really stepped up. Uh, the lines have changed around. Aho. Uh, was playing with Tara Vinen and Svechnikov in the last game. Then it was Nino Niederreiter with Jordan Stahl and Justin Williams. So all six of those guys could end up being fantasy relevant and great next year. And maybe Warren Fogle as well. So we'll, we'll discuss it more in the Almanac moving forward. Let's move on now. Okay, let's talk about the New York Islanders. So we mentioned that Carolina has these uh, UFAs that they're going to have to deal with with their goaltending. We talked last episode about how the Islanders also are going to have a big UFA decision because Robin Leonard is going to be an unrestricted free agent. But that's not the only player. Like the Islanders go into this offseason with Jordan Eberle, Anders Lee, and Brock Nelson, along with Robin Leonard. They're all going to be unrestricted free agents in July. So the Islanders have a big summer ahead, huge decisions that need to be made. And I'd really like to zero in in this episode on Anders Lee and Brock Nelson as they head into free agency. Lee had an okay season, right? Like definitely not bad. 28 goals, 51 points in 82 games, but it was a pretty big drop from his 40 goals and 62 points in 2017-18 when he was playing with John Tavares on that top line and top power play. Uh, Lee had an okay playoffs, one goal and three assists in eight games. Like, who is the real Anders Lee? Is he like a 40-goal scorer that just had a down year? Is he a 30-goal scorer? Is he worse? Like, I'm very interested to see if he's going to sign with the Islanders. If he signs somewhere else, is he going to be like a top-line, top-deployment type guy? Or has he just been getting this deployment because there hasn't been other left-wingers like available to play in that spot on uh, New York Islanders? You know, I think it's a mix. I think Andersley got the opportunity to be who he is because there weren't a whole lot of other options. But I think he's proven that even if there were, Andersley belongs in a top line role. Uh, you're asking who he is. And Elon, I thought we would know by now. I really did. We were hoping we would get some closure this year on who Andersley is. Uh, he had an above average shooting percentage for two years coming into this one. And before that, he had a low shooting percentage for two years. So we were hoping that a third year of an above average high shooting percentage in a row would have helped us see a definite trend where we could say, yeah, Andersley is an effective uh, converter. He takes a lot of shots, has a good body of work. He makes it happen. But of course he didn't make it that easy on us. Andersley dropped down 5% 
in his shooting percentage to go back to being an 11% shooter at five on five rather than a 16, 17% type guy. He also dropped 5% on the power play. So like essentially he was 18% all situations in 2017, 18, 13% shooter in all situations in 18, 19. So that means that we're still in this purgatory where we're trying to see a trend in Andersley's ups and downs. Now he's had two lows, then two highs and another low. And it's just like, okay, well let's just see one more season. What happens? uh, And then we'll know who he is. I just feel confident enough to know that he's a pretty good hockey player this year. His IPP was a touch low. So that's uh, that could explain some of the points that went missing everything else. So pretty similar. And the biggest feather in Andersley's cap, I think, is that he seemed unaffected by the departure of John Tavares. He took uh, as many shots as often, about as dangerously. He just didn't score on them as often as he did the season prior. So I I have faith in Andersley still being a 60-plus point player who can uh, put in uh, enough goals to be one of the higher-end fantasy goal-scoring options. But it will be interesting to see where he lands next year. To me, he feels very much like an Islander, and I could see them committing to him, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, If he does stay on the top line in Long Island, I expect him to be able uh, to land somewhere between his 18-19 point total and his... Uh, 17, 18 point total, which for anybody who hasn't been able to keep track, it was a 51 point player this most recent season, 62 the season before. I see him closer to 60 than I do 50. Okay, so that's not so bad. And if he goes to another team, we'll have to see. I could see him pulling like a Nyquist, you know, after he got traded at the deadline. He was on the top line in Detroit and killing it. Then he went to the Sharks where he wasn't the, you know, top deployed guy and his point totals really took a hit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'll be very interested to see if Otters League goes somewhere else. But of course, the Islanders need to sign some of these players. Another option, uh, Brock Nelson. So he had a career year this year. He had not such a great playoffs in the end. Four goals in eight games. No assists. Uh, but he did have a career high, 53 points in 82 games. So basically, he had a similar season to Anders Lee overall, at least in terms of overall points. But for him, it was a jump up, while Anders Lee was a jump down. Would you consider Brock Nelson someone that you would think of drafting next season if he stays with the Islanders or if he moves? Like, is he a guy on your radar at all? Or do you think he just had like a lucky season? And at the end of the day, he's going to go back to being the Brock Nelson that he was for so many seasons before this one. Like the big thing this season is he had this huge opportunity, right? With John Tavares gone, Nelson went into the top six. He became a line two center and he got to play with better line mates. Uh, so I guess if he stays with the Islanders, that would be a plus and thinking he could do something similar again. But yeah, it was kind of surprising. I don't even think we projected him in our almanac. I think he's the next guy after Dylan Strom that is the highest score that we didn't even come up with a projection for yeah you're right brock nelson did not get uh projection in our almanac because well he was coming off a 35 point season in 2017-18 and that was a career low sure but before that he was like a half point per game guy nothing more nothing less we weren't seeing a whole lot out of him that made us think things would change but then in 18-19 nelson season uh, was great it, he kind of went the other direction as Lee. Lee went from a 60-point guy to a 50-point guy. Nelson went from a 35-point guy to a 50-point guy. Uh, set a career-high 53 points in his age 27 season after, yeah, really not giving us much reason to expect more than 45 points from Brock Nelson in a year, if even that. And why Brock Nelson uh, was able to crack 50 points was because he benefited from a big deployment boost under new coach Barry Trotz, who made him... Get this, Elon, the New York Islanders' number one most used forward. You heard that right. You can win bets at bars with this tidbit. Uh, Who played more minutes than anybody else uh, for the Islanders 
every night, night in, night out as a forward. It was Brock Nelson, not Anders Lee, not Matt Barzel, although the person you bet on this at the bar will be really mad when they look it up because Barzel played uh, just three fewer seconds a night than Brock Nelson. But Brock Nelson still played the most. He played almost 18 minutes on average per night, uh, which was three more minutes than Nelson had played in a very disappointing 2017-18 season and a couple more minutes than Nelson had played the year before that. And Brock Nelson essentially, with this increase in deployment, is a great example of what happens when you give a player who has some decent underlying numbers more time on ice, a bigger role, they produce. They just keep doing what they're doing with more minutes to do it. And that's what happened to Brock Nelson. That's why he had a good season. His power play role increased too, though he didn't do much with it. He had just eight power play points despite getting a 50% share of his team's power play time on ice. Uh, Nelson played most often on the power play too with Lee Eberle, Barzell, uh, when he was on the top unit. Uh, So that's a spot where Nelson, if he can hang on to those minutes, he still could potentially improve next year. He also, when he was on the ice for the power play, Brock Nelson shot just 5%. So you could probably expect that some friendly regression with this role continuing could bump him up to 55, maybe even past it next year. Um, So yeah, I'm expecting more of the same next season, unless Barry Trotz has a a weird revelation in the summer that Brock Nelson is not his favorite player to play anymore. Uh, The ceiling to Brock Nelson's production, of course, before anybody gets really excited about Brock Nelson next year, is that he is never on the ice with Matt Barzell. Uh, They played just 13 minutes at five-on-five together over the 82-game season. So uh, you can never hope for them to be on the ice together at even strength. However, you can hope that they're on the ice together on the power play. And that's a reason to hope that Brock Nelson can stay in the 50 to 55 point range again in 1920. Yeah, assuming he stays on the Islanders, of course, that's the big question. If he goes to another team, we'll have to reassess completely. Uh, But yeah, he did get on the top power play. I don't think he started the season on the top power play, but he bumped Josh Bailey. And that was what triggered me to ask you for permission to drop Josh Bailey, which you didn't give me, but I did anyway. And then I was happy with it. So that is that. Also, I don't know what's more shocking, the fact that Brock Nelson had more ice time than Matt Barzal, or the fact that you were still calling him Matt Barzal at the start of your spiel, <laughs> even though we've been corrected so many times. I fixed that. it by the end, though. I like. That. I don't know if that's better or worse. Like, I'd actually like to know. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. <laughs> Once we mispronounce a name, should we just change a pr- mispronunciation? Like, should we change a pronunciation as we're talking about it without even referencing the fact that we got it wrong and just confuse the people who have no idea now how the name is said? Or do you want us to stick with it? I know it's fascinating stuff. We could probably do a whole episode about name pronunciations over the summer. But how about we move on, Brian, and talk about the San Jose Sharks because they are still going. They're up now three games to two against uh, the Colorado. Sorry, I'm all discombobulated here with uh, with all the fun pronunciation talk. Uh, so the thing is, last episode, Brian, I think I was talking about how I think the Vegas Golden Knights are probably going to win the Cup. And uh, that was when they were, I think, up three games to one or three games to two when we recorded our last episode. The Sharks came back to win. There was that huge controversy in that Game 7 uh, which actually John Reed, one of our patrons and a guy I just met over uh, yesterday in L.A. It was really fun. Thanks for the fun time, John Reed. Uh, yeah, he has a rant that he's going to say on the patron cast about that whole thing with the Sharks and that penalty and the fact that they were able to score those four power play goals and move forward. Anyway, the Sharks now are in this round against Colorado and they are really good. And I want to talk about two players on this team which are having amazing playoffs and after having amazing seasons and just see what you think about these guys moving forward. And of course, these two players are Logan Couture and Tomas Hurdle. Okay, so Logan Couture, 13 points in 12 playoff games so far. Hurdle right behind him with 12 points. Uh, Couture, they're playing on separate lines aside from on the power play. So Couture's been playing with Timo Meyer and Gustav Nyquist. Hurdle's been playing with Donskoy and Evander Kane. Uh, so, okay. 
Couture had a career-high 70 points this season, which was surprising to me. Like, when I saw he had 70 points, I was looking back over the rest of his career. I assumed he had done better than that. He's had better paces, but he's had different injuries. So this was actually his first time joining the 70-point club. Even, like, saying it now, and I know I just researched this, I'm still, like, surprised. I feel like I want to go back, or you could correct me to make sure. But, yeah, I, to me, it seems like Logan Couture should have a higher ceiling than just 70 points, like, especially seeing what he's doing in this playoffs. Maybe next season he could have a real breakout, get to, like, point per game. And you know what? The, the same could maybe be said for Tomas Hurdle because he also had a career-high 74 points. He led the Sharks in points this season for forwards, and he had a 79-point pace overall. So this guy's really broken out as a huge superstar. Do you think both of these guys can do even better next season? Should we be expecting maybe point per game moving forward? And like even more basically, like who would you draft first in a draft, like Hurdle or Couture? Because they both had similar points this season. They're doing similar things in the playoffs. They both seem like really big superstars that are, you know, Couture's been around for a really long time, but it seems like he's really breaking out this playoffs. I feel like I said that in other playoffs before, but he's really having an amazing time right now. Well, we talked about it in the Almanac, how Logan Couture, when everyone's saying, like, I wonder when he's going to break out, I think this could be the season. He's 29 years old, right? Like, he broke out in his sophomore season. He had 56 points in 79 games. He followed that up with uh, four more fantastic seasons. And then his age 26 season, he fell off. He had 36 points in 52 games. Next year, he was like a 55-point player. Uh, and two seasons ago in 17-18, he worked his way back up to a 60-point player. And in the Almanac, I'm not going to lie, I, I mean, it's there for everyone to listen to. If you want to go back, I was really uh, bearish on Logan Couture. I was just like, you know, he's getting another year older. I don't know if he's going to have another breakout it seems like he peaked and he's sort of you know fallen to a comfortable 60 point area where he's going to stick and like I don't see any imminent deployment increase happening and that didn't happen this year so uh, that's what I thought would have to happen you need to get another minute or two of ice time per night he, he didn't he played exactly the same number of minutes he did in 2018-19 as he did in 17-18 the difference for Logan Couture in 1819, though, was that he played with two guys who had uh, career years, huge years. Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle were always with him. Uh, and when one of them wasn't, well, he was essentially attached to the hip, attached to the hip with the, to Timo Meyer. Uh, and when they weren't with Hurdle, they're with Joe Pavelski. Uh, for a, a brief period, they were with Lucas Rydell, and uh, that wasn't really a factor. In any case, uh, Logan Couture had a fantastic season. I think he probably overperformed. I think this playoff performance is epic and historic and will absolutely cement his place in in the Hall of San Jose Shark greats for um, the amount of great moments that he had already given the team leading up to this. But this sort of like rebirth renaissance that he's going through and like this like sort of leadership role he's taken on especially no one will ever forget his role in that Vegas game Uh, that was just an incredible thing to watch and he was a he was the guy right um but I don't know that I'm signing up for a 70 point Logan Couture again next season like I could see it the Sharks are going to need it from him but I'm just not 100% sure that what we're seeing uh, is entirely sustainable through the regular season. And the number one indicator I'll give for that is his on-ice shooting percentage was a career-high 12% at 5-on-5. And that is because of the shooting success that Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle had this season that we're not quite sure they'll both be able to repeat next season. 
And I'll speak specifically to Tomas Hurdle. I think we've touched on Meyer through the season. Like, you know, we loved him in the preseason. Then he exceeded our wildest expectations with some really, some really great shooting. Tomas Hurdle is not someone we were so excited about coming into the air. He was one of the guys we actually underestimated the most in our almanac, uh, thinking like we've seen the most that Tomas Hurdle is going to get in San Jose. He never seems to be able to stick in top deployment. Something's missing there. And then finally... This year, boom, he did get the consistently high-end deployment that we'd long been waiting for him to get. And if you thought that, like, Tomas Hurdle had, like, a sort of under-the-radar regular season, and that meant you'd get him at a great place in your fantasy drafts in September, uh, he, like Logan Couture, uh, they're not getting any cheaper as these playoffs roll on. Hurdle's now up to eight goals and four assists for 12 points and 47 shots over 12 playoff games as of the moment of this recording. Um, Four of Hurdle's eight goals are on the power play, uh, and he's only going to play a bigger role next year in his age 26 season as the Sharks lineup uh, changes with age and attrition for their players. But I will give you a caveat about Tomas Hurdle's year next year and a reason to maybe knock him down a few spots on your uh, pre, 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 pre ranking draft list. Uh, this season, Tomas Hurdle scored on one of every five shots he took, which was about twice as often as his career body of work, uh, which has generally been in like the 10 to 12% conversion rate compared to a 20% conversion rate this year. Uh, like to put that in absolute numbers, Thomas Hurdle took one more shot in 18-19 than he did in 17-18, but he scored 13 more goals. So yeah, that's what happens when you're a 20% shooter. Uh, Hurdle doubled his shooting percentage, both five on five and on the power play, which is how he finished with career high and team bridesmaid 35 goals on the season. So can Thomas Hurdle repeat that? You're already sort of hearing the answer. Uh, I don't think that he's going to get 35 goals next year. His expected goals numbers would agree with me. Like he wasn't uh, appearing to be any bigger a threat this season than he was in past seasons. He was actually less of a threat than certain other seasons, actually. So I'd expect Tomas Hurdle to fall back to around 25 goals in 1920. And I feel like that may even be a conservative estimate of where he'll drop. The reason I'm sort of saying just to 25 is that Hurdle does have this expanded power play one role working in his favor. And again, he's going to be asked to step up big for San Jose moving forward as other pieces either uh, go further into decline or leave the team. Uh, I do think that you are going to be pushed in your draft to consider Tomas Hurdle a 30 plus goal player and uh, that other people in your league might think he's a lock for that. I think that's going to be a mistake that you're going to want to let other people make, I would really suggest that 25 is the most number of goals, the highest number of goals you can expect from Tomas Hurdle next year. Wow. Right. So it's kind of like a William Carlson-esque projection because you're saying that you don't think he's going to be able to keep up that shooting percentage and he's going to fall. But I, I didn't catch that though. What is Hurdle's first name again? Tomas. <laughs> Every single time you said it, you said Tomas Hurdle. Like at some point, I thought you just switched to say Hurdle, but you you went the full Tomas Hurdle every <laughs> single time, just to make sure everyone knew which Hurdle you were talking about. Uh, so I think it's interesting. Like both, it sounds like for both players, you're saying you don't think they're going to repeat what they did, both Couture and Hurdle, and they're definitely both going to have their stocks way up in drafts next season. So there you go. Some na- uh, I don't know controversial Brian Com advice 
for everyone. He's saying avoid those top sharks. Let other people take them. He doesn't think they're going to be able to keep it up. And of course, we'll discuss them more later on in the summer series. But right now, they're having amazing playoff runs. You're saying don't let the playoff run fool you. You're looking at the regular season numbers and seeing some room for regression. Very interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, We could go talk about the Dallas-St. Louis series quickly. Uh, I saw for a game, Vince Dunn was back on the top power play. I was like, ugh. Just because I'm thinking forward for next season, I thought that Alex Petrangelo had really nailed that spot down. But it looks like that was just a one-off anyway. So maybe it's not even worth discussing. Back today, it was Petrangelo on the top power play for the 4-1 win, and he even scored a goal. So yeah, I think that was probably something that I didn't have to worry about. So I'm glad that we got to see a correction there. Yeah, it's really great that Craig Berube did that all for us uh, really quickly. Uh, just to be perfectly and absolutely clear, Vince Dunn was not the top power play guy once Berube took over behind the bench. You can see Dunn's power play uh, share of minutes drop sharply right around Berube's hiring in late November. Uh, and then Petrangelo's rise sharply at about the same time. So Dunn going to the top power play was just a one-off. As far as Craig Berube's coaching uh, strategy record is concerned, like you said, Elon Petrangelo already back on the top power play for today's game six. And I expect him to be there in game seven and through most of the 82 games next season. Cool. So you're saying people can draft Petrangelo with confidence. This year, a lot of people who drafted Petrangelo had a really tough time early on. He had those triplets. He was bumped from the top power play. It was frustrating. I traded him in the cupful for Seth Jones. I also, it was Jake Allen and Petrangelo for Seth Jones. I felt like a genius. By the end, actually, Petrangelo was doing just as well as Seth Jones. So it turned out to be pretty much a wash. Uh, But yeah, okay. So you're saying, don't worry about that because as long as Craig Brewery is the coach, of course, Craig Brewery is going to continue to be the coach. I believe he was nominated for the Jack Adams Trophy. So generally teams don't fire coaches after that, especially when they're on continued cup runs. Brian, who's your pick for game seven, St. Louis versus Dallas? I think I'm going to go. I don't know. I'm actually totally undecided. I was hoping I could decide by the end of that sentence. It it seems like a toss up. It's been a great series. I think it'll come down to whether, you know, who's going to, it's going to come down to goaltending. I think it's pretty simple. Um, yeah, did you Bishop see has today? had a couple weak moments, and so is Bennington. So we'll see which one can put together the most complete game for Game 7. I'll be watching. Yeah, it definitely seems like a coin flip. I don't think anyone should be able to say with certainty. Or if they say that they're certain, then don't believe them because they're lying, just hoping that they'll you know get it right by chance and then be able to brag about it afterwards. Uh, did you see Bishop got injured today? He took this like on the, I think it was the third goal of the game. It was like a high shot. It looked like it hit his collarbone. Uh, and then he left the game a little bit after. But then I saw a Roto World update after the fact saying that he should be fine. So we'll see. I'd assume Bishop is going to play in game seven, but it could be Hudobin. And you know, Dallas is one of those lucky teams like Carolina where they have a back backup that's totally capable from what we've seen of like filling the role and you know the team shouldn't be too hurt by it uh, over on Dallas by the way so Tyler Sagan he did score Dallas's only goal today it was a power play goal uh, he has 11 points in 12 playoff games but we've been doing our patron rankings on the Facebook group thanks to the great Dave Betton who's here in the chat room hey Dave uh, thank you so much for setting that up and we have a lot of fun every day voting on who we think should be ranked next in the patron rankings we're like into double digits still no Tyler Sagan are we dumb for not having ranked him yet? I feel like in most seasons, he would be ranked by now. I guess he had a bit of a down year, but he's so reliable for your shots on goal. And I feel like Dallas has more depth, like especially now with Zuccarello in the picture. Maybe like Sagan doesn't want to have to carry like so much of the load, like being on like the one good line or sometimes they move Ben to the other line. Like, yeah, I'm just curious to know what you think. And also, I guess since I'm asking you about Dallas, I might as well just throw it all to you. Uh, Rupe Hints. And uh, Dickinson, they're both getting great deployment. Are either of them sleepers for you next season? Right now, Hints is looking like someone that might stick playing with 
two of Ben, Radulov, Sagan, or Zuccarello, and he seems to be really fitting in well there. Well, let's remember that Zuccarello is a free agent, so we don't know where he's going to end up next season. If he does stay, like, we're not going to speculate too much, but I think whenever Dallas can find a guy that can play with one or two of Ben Sagan, Radulov, and, like, that player helps them portion out their top talent into two lines... I think they like that. And Rupe Hintz is giving them that opportunity. So I could see him continuing to get uh, chances to be someone in their top six, playing with at least one and maybe two top end of top end offensive players, which is why uh, absolutely should be somewhere on your draft list next year. Also, some of the raw talent we've seen from him, like some of his highlight reel plays have been really impressive. We've been watching him now like for a couple months, right? He had some some big moments down the, the stretch in the fantasy playoffs where he made an impression on people. Now he's making an impression on everybody who's still tuned in to the real life NHL playoffs. So I do like Rupe Hintz's potential next season, both as a talented player and as someone who could end up with some very strong line mates. Yeah, and as far as Sagan goes, actually, I sold him shortly. He's actually fallen really far. Like, we just ranked Mitch Marner at number 17, and Sagan's still not taken. So according to our patrons, it's like Sagan is someone you could get late in a draft in the second round. I would like, give me that all day. I hope I get, I hope I could get first overall in a draft next year. If I could take like Connor McDavid first, then give me Sagan on the turn at the end of the second round, as long, along with a defenseman, I'm going to be very happy. I spent big bucks on Tyler Sagan early on in the tier one auction draft, like when the market was still being set and it ended up probably being a couple bucks too much, but I, I had no regrets. I had some regrets over the first like month or so when he was doing nothing. Uh, but you look at his numbers from this season and he held uh, to being just an offensive force. He's a fantastic hockey player. Yeah, he had some really rough variants that was working against him to start the season, but that's all it was. And like, I'm so, I'm like so mad in a way. Do you remember Elon, the, have an owner? Was it the owner? I know his name. I don't even want to say his name. The guy who said they're playing like horse yeah, yeah. Poop or something. Oh yeah. Brian that, will that never guy, say the word. That, that guy's probably taking credit right now. He's probably patting, you know, I spoke up at the right time. I said the right thing, galvanize the team motivated. And like, if I'm Tyler Sagan, like part of me, like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a stubborn jerk. Like, I would sort of want to tank and be like, screw you. Like, you didn't do this. I did this. Screw you, dude. Yeah, that's really funny. So, Brian, you're not going to give any credence to the fact that calling the players, okay, get ready, cover your children's ears, calling the players horse shit was, uh, you don't think that galvanized them and made them better? No. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. That's nonsense. nonsense. I, words, words have some meaning on people. I just, like, you know, and this is something that has been talked about a lot in, in cities like Edmonton, where, like, the Oilers lose their ninth in a row, and, like, a beat writer writes about how Connor McDavid's leadership is wanting, or, like, you know, he just wasn't good enough. And it's just like, why are you beating up on the best, like, you've got to take some time and look at the depth, the depth players and see what's going wrong. Like, are they good enough? Who else isn't doing their job? Like, you can't pile on your best players when your team isn't a success, especially when you haven't surrounded them with the tools to succeed. Sagan and Ben uh, recently got Radulov. Uh, they sort of had Spezza while he was still good. Uh, aside from that, they've had, like, no support given to them. I know. I was just joking around. I agree with you that it was a silly thing to say. Ugh, Ugh come on. And also, I feel like these are professional athletes. Like, if a player of Tyler Sagan's character, or I should say, like, not even character, like a player of his, like, 
uh, stature. Like what's, what's even the word here? Like an amazing athlete like Tyler Sagan shouldn't need some like old dude calling him a bad name to motivate him. Like, I feel like he probably has the internal motivation to turn it on. And I'm sure it had nothing to do with that. Like, okay. Anyway, uh, I wanted to talk quickly about the Boston Bruins and their series with Columbus. Brian, first of all, uh, you said on the last episode that like you, I said, I thought Columbus could be a contender and you said, I don't see it happening. And then you pointed to how they had, what was it like uh overachieving on expected or they had more goals than their expected goals that was it right and i guess right now maybe i mean i we shouldn't say you could take credit because there were a lot of series in the first round that where one team was up three to two then the other team ended up winning right now boston's up three games to two after that overtime win but columbus is coming out really really strong and i had to take i want to throw it to you this whole expected goals thing Okay, I I would say that over the long term, I feel like everything would average out and it should be a pretty good stat. But for one playoff series, like when you were saying that Columbus, you know, overachieved in in their goals versus expected goals in that series versus Tampa Bay, like that can't account for like, what if they were like sort of taking shots from uh, low danger spots, but they're like strong shots, like expected goals doesn't take into account the velocity of the shot or like where the shot goes, like if it goes top corner or into the goalies pads. You know what I mean? Like, just correct me if I'm wrong. Expected goals, that stat that you love to reference, that's only about where the shot came from on the ice. And that's it, right? Yeah. And evaluating the the threat level of shots from in, in that fashion. I mean, I, there's it depends on which formula you go by. Like, uh, there's a few different formulas that have been developed. I've most recently been using uh, the one over at Evolving Hockey, evolving-hockey.com. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they combine a whole bunch of factors uh, that are reported in NHL's uh, official scorekeeping data to try and determine uh, the danger level of a shot. You know, Elon, because this is the second time in as many episodes or three episodes. Yeah. And again, I, maybe before... we should maybe we should try and get the I'll see if they'll uh, they'll come on during the summer and we can, uh, we can chat with them about how they make the stat and uh, really, really hash it out. I would love that. Like, I don't want to be a naysayer here. I really do believe this is a great stat that you reference, especially over a long term, like over a season. If you could say that this team had this many, you know, this player had this many expected goals, but they only scored this many goals or they scored too many. And it's a great way to see like, okay, players who generally shoot from that position this many times score a different number of goals. But I just feel for like a really small sample size, there's going to be too many variables that aren't being accounted for. Like, like I said, like the velocity of a shot, I feel like makes a big difference on how dangerous the shot is. Yeah, and there's also a fun game people play sometimes where, you know, they'll they'll say the specific expected goal rating for this shot was, you know, whatever. And then, you know, you watch the clip and it's like, well, why? Like, and you try and connect, like, whether that was an accurate danger level uh, and, and, whether, and try and, you know, like, figure out the factors that led to it and if it's on the right track. Um, so, yeah. It's a anyway. it's a fun thing. Maybe we'll have a a, a great off season summer series conversation about it. I'm gonna yeah. we'll make a note to talk about it. Okay, good idea. I really like that idea. And that'll be fun. But okay, we, I guess we could go back to this series. It's been a great, exciting series. And I want to take a quick second to give kudos to Tuka Rask. What a weird season for this guy who, Brian, you, in the Almanac, you like famously said that you thought that uh, Tuka Rask was like a bit overrated. And you were actually telling people that Yaroslav Halak might be a really sneaky guy to draft. And you were like both so right and yet like wrong. <laughs> like, you know, like uh, Halak kind of stunk at the start of the year. Halak did take over as a starting goalie for a big chunk. And he was great. And he was pretty much great all season long. But at some point, Tukarask turned it around, and your big prediction that Halak would be starting game one of the playoffs ended up not coming true. Tukarask is playing every single game for the Bruins, and he's having a 
great playoffs. He has a 932 save percentage in 12 games now. I don't see any reason why Halak will come in. Obviously, the Bruins are lucky that if something happens to Rask, they could have a lot of confidence that Halak will come in and be fine. But yeah, now like it makes me wonder now for next season, are we going to do the Almanac? And is it going to be the whole thing over again where you're going to say, oh, Tuka Rask overrated? Or like, have, have, has this season changed your mind at all? Or is he just the type of goalie that if he has a slow start, you could feel decently confident that he'll eventually figure it out and turn it around? Like, Brian, actually, in our joint league, there's four keeper spots. We have Holtby and Halak. And this is a league where goalie wins are like really highly weighted and also goalies are hard to come by. So you'd think if, if Rask is going to be the starting goalie on Boston and, you know, like it seems like he's probably a keeper. But then again, last season, I would have felt like a real idiot if I had kept Tuka Rask. And then, you know, like at the start of the season, it was looking like he wasn't even the starter anymore. Yeah, I think we're set up to have a similar conversation in the offseason. I know Tuka Rask has now vanquished Halak once, although you could say Halak vanquished Rask once as well. And next season, uh, Halak is another year older. So is Rask. But if memory serves off the top of my head, Halak was born before Tuka Rask. So, uh, you know, age might affect him a little more. I think what we're seeing, first, we need to just clarify, like Tuka Rask's season this year was not markedly better. It was actually worse. It was the worst season of his career. He had a 9-12 save percentage at even strength. Now, keep in mind, there's more scoring in the NHL this year, so we can't quite call all things equal. Like, I need to pull up his goal saved above average, which was probably about in line with the number it had been in the last few season, seasons in which Tuka Rask uh, was okay. He wasn't remarkable. He wasn't the the image that some people have developed of him in their minds uh, over that huge stretch where he was like a 930 goalie for a few years in a row. Um, So he wasn't a very good goalie. And I don't think that beating him out for a number one job is such a tall mountain to climb. One thing that really worked out for him is that even though, um, and like I tried to even like find a dividing point for when Rask started picking up his game, there wasn't really one. Like if you look at uh, just his games uh, from the start of the calendar year, so say January 1st, he's still like a 9-13 goalie over 27 games, but he won 18 of those 27 games, only five regulation losses in those 27 games. So what I see is a goalie who played all right, he didn't cost his team games, and he played by a team that won him a whole bunch of games. So he was in net while the team was rolling. And that's just the way things worked out. I see the job as being reasonably open. And I do see arrested Tuka Rask being a positive things thing for the Boston Bruins. Uh, he played only 46 games this season, which is the lowest number of appearances uh, since the lockout shortened 2012-13 season. Uh, so if you want to say, well, he played a huge proportion of those games, 36 to 48. So you go back, you have to go back to 2011-2012 when he only played 23 times. And I, if I recall, because of injury. So uh, like this was a low workload season for Tuka Rask. And I could see the Bruins just riding uh, both Rask and Halak next year, splitting them both, keeping them both reasonably fresh and rested so they can, when they do play, they can be at the top of their game. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what they did this year. And it seems to have worked out so far. They're one win away from going to the conference finals. So like last episode, you were talking about when you're thinking of goalies for next season, you're going to have like a couple guys who maybe are like the ones that you could kind of rely on and that you like the best, you know, like Vasilevsky is probably in there. Then you said there's going to be like sort of a pile of goalies where they all have similar chances of working out for you. Is Tuka Rask like an above level guy or is he a pile guy for you? Sounds like he's a pile guy if you think he's going to be sharing time with Halak. Yeah, he's a pile guy for sure. And he's a tandem guy. Like I'd be really nervous about drafting him. I would hope in my draft that I draft Rask and then uh, Halak just ends up being a free agent because nobody's like, well, I'm not going to take Halak uh, on his own. Like it seems like these guys might only have value if you have them both. Otherwise, you're just crossing your fingers each week that you're going to get more than one start from the, the one of Halak arrests that you actually have. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they are a good tandem to own. And I, I've, I've really vacillated on if I think it's a smart strategy to draft a tandem or not. But for a team like Boston, it might just be worth it to lock them down. And you have like a really good chance of getting a win every single time, especially when they both have such a similar chance of getting a lot of games. So right now, Rask seems like he's the guy. And maybe Halak, that will make him a nice value pick in drafts next year, just like he was this year. Okay, one more player to discuss. This is actually not even a guy who play, who's playing in this round, but we never got the chance to really talk about the Nashville Predators. They ended up losing losing to Dallas at the end of the first round. Of course, at the end of the first round. In the first round, they lost to Dallas. And I wanted to ask you about Philip Forsberg, who had a really disappointing playoffs, right? He only had two points in six games. And also, I looked like his regular season wasn't that great. Like, he was coming off a year. In 2017-18, Philip Forsberg had 64 points in 67 games for a 78-point pace. We called him, like, a sure thing to go into the 70-point club this season. It was just a matter of if he'd play enough games. And you know what? He didn't. He, again, missed time with injury. He only played 64 four games in 2018-19 but you know what he only had 50 points and that was only good for a 64 point pace so even if he kept up his pace all season long he still wouldn't have joined the 70 point club so he had a really big fall from what looked like an amazing breakout two seasons ago where are you landing on philip forsberg now going into next season like is he a guy that we should once again be thinking of as, as like a superstar in the league that we should expect at least 70 points from or maybe is he more of the 65 point pace guy that he really had been for most of his career before that breakout in 2017-18 you say most of his career. There wasn't a, a huge chunk of his career. Uh, like he's still, this was his age 24 season. And before he broke out, uh, he was playing, like he had three very good years beginning with his four, first full season in the league. When you break out as a 20 year old with 26 goals and 63 points, and you follow that up with 64 points and 33 goals the next year, uh, that's pretty good. That's a, that's a good resume to have by the time uh, you're 21 years old. So I think what people found confusing about Philip Forsberg was that in 2017-18, he was a point-per-game player, and everyone thought, ah, he's arrived, but they might not have noticed that uh, those point totals, uh, particularly his 31 goals, were fueled by an unsustainable shooting percentage at 5-on-5, stat check, sorry, 26 goals, although they came in 67 games. So that means that Forsberg was on a 32-goal pace. So anyway, point made. Um, So Elon, we thought, that Philip Forsberg in our almanac, we said he'd be good for 75 points in 1819. Whereas I think others might have thought, oh, 80, 85 points because he's going to keep scoring at a 32 goal pace and he's going to have some natural growth as well because he's a young buck ready to continue developing his game. Uh, and uh, he didn't quite get there. Uh, his actually, his, actually, his goal scoring was even better in 2018-19 with more sustainable shooting percentages. So that's a positive. The assists 
went missing, however. Um, so that's a big reason why Philip Forsberg's point totals went down. Why were those assists missing? Well, uh, one of the reasons is because the Nashville power play was just a total and utter disaster. Like just to contextualize, Philip Forsberg was only pacing for a 64 point season, even though uh, he was on pace to score almost 35 goals and he plays on the top line and the top power play. So what the heck Nashville, what's wrong with your power play? And that's actually been a big topic since they were eliminated. That Predators power play, we lamented them all season long about how bad they were. Elon, of all players who saw at least 190 minutes of power play time this season, which is like top line minutes, uh, only six players scored fewer points on the power play than Philip Forsberg. He only had 10 points in 192 minutes. Uh, the only guys to score less JT Comfer, Brian Boyle, Brock Nelson, Wayne Simmons. Uh, like these are not uh, high-end players. Derek Stepan, Brendan Gallagher. So you have Brendan Gallagher in there is another guy like Philip Forsberg who could probably improve his power play totals next year to have a rebound season. But Philip Forsberg does not belong in this class. And actually very interestingly, Jamie Benn is right there with Philip Forsberg. So that's uh, somebody who can absolutely rebound next season on the power play uh, to get some of his fantasy value back that he lost this year. Uh, anyway, Philip Forsberg's playoff performance this year was awful. It's more fuel for any doubters, which is great if they bite and they get down on Philip Forsberg because I'm still happy to expect 75 points from him again next year. Yes, he burned us this year. But this year, he ended up pacing for 64 points and only had 10 on the power play. It's not hard to imagine that somebody figures out how to fix that Nashville power play. There's a lot of talent there. Uh, If you're on a top power play in the NHL, it's not a stretch at all to say you're going to get between 18 and 25 points on that top unit. Philip Forsberg adds that to his totals. He's a 75-point player, no problem. So I haven't lost faith. Damn. Okay. So a fun hot take from Brian. You're saying that people should maybe go in on Philip Forsberg next year. He might be underrated and you might be able to get him a little bit later and end up getting a really good value pick out of him. So would you take Philip Forsberg over, say, uh, Logan Couture in a draft next year? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So yeah, I think you'll be able to do that. Or maybe draft Couture and then trade him to the Forsberg owner, get Forsberg plus for Couture before the season starts. I don't know. Maybe now I'm getting too fancy here. That's the playoff talk that I wanted to get into on this episode. We still have a whole fun second half of the show where we're going to talk about some of our predictions that I think I'm going to turn it to you, Brian, to talk about what we're going to do here. Before we get to that, let me just do a couple of housekeeping things. First of all, we've been doing our playoff pool for the patrons and i wanted to check in you brian you called me out of the last episode i just said what i always do is i go in and i see who's winning the playoff pool and you were like elon you only said it because you were in first place well here i am i'm no longer in first place and yet i'm still gonna say it wow so honorable (laughs) so in first place now is huge long 148 total points brian i'm all the way down in third place with a mere 143 points there's even a team in between us elon is a hoser is right now like in contention with 147 so (laughs) one point difference huge long has got bruins left they lost a lot of golden knights but they still have burns and carlson on the sharks so obviously huge long is cheering for the bruins and the sharks to close out their series and then they probably have a really good chance to win the series why are you laughing right now just the more times you say the team name the the more the more it bothers clear you. It became, the more clear becomes that we shouldn't be saying it hey you know what that's the elon is a hoser it's time to get to make your move yeah elon is a hoser has an amazing looking team they've still only lost 
Evgeny Malkin. So they've got Bruins, they've got Hurricanes, they've got Sharks, and they've got uh, just a ton of Sharks. They basically went all Sharks and then a couple St. Louis Blues. So yeah, if all the teams that are ahead in their series plus the Blues move forward, then I think Elon as a hoser is probably going to take this. I'm in third place, Brian, but I'm falling out. I lost those Vegas players also, unfortunately. I still have Blues, I still got Bruins, still got a couple Hurricanes. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't look like I have a good chance against Elon as a hoser. Uh, okay, so that is the update of our patron playoff pool. There's going to be a prize to the winner, some random junk from my mom's place. I found some really fun old-timey hockey books that are going to be mailed out to the winner, signed by yours truly, and Brian, even, if you want. So uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll arrange that. Brian, you could probably get get over to my mom's house and sign that book, right? I think I can make that happen. You'll figure it out. Okay. What if you win? Will you post it to yourself? I'm not going to win, but uh, sure, I guess I could sign the book for myself, or I could just save it as a prize for next season. That's my prize. I don't have to send away my book. I get to save it. Uh, one of them is called, like, uh, Hottest Goalies or something, and but it's just talking about who's playing well and not about their looks. Oh, so, bummer. That's one that I know some of our patrons might like. Okay, next up, Brian. So I've been actually away on vacation for the last couple of weeks, so I sort of turned this section of the show over to you. I was like, Brian, can you... Uh, deal with uh, the second half of our show where I want to start looking into some almanac projections like you said but we got some help from our friends at Fantasy Ref this is a very cool site fantasyref.ca they compare the projections of a bunch of different like sites that do fantasy projections which finally this season we were a part of though of course we only projected points so a lot of other people like Dauber Hockey you know has their al- their guide or almanac where they're projecting like, a whole bunch of stats but anyway Fantasy Ref, they compare all the different projectors, try to keep them honest. I love the idea behind it because, of course, if you're selling a product where you're making projections, you want to actually check and see how you did. Brian, we did okay. It was our first time at it. I think that when we do our almanac again this summer, we'll do even better because we'll have learned some lessons and we're going to go over some of the players we got right and wrong, like you said, over the next few weeks and see what we can learn before we come up with our projections for next season. So let me just give a quick shout out. So it's fantasyref.ca slash rankings to see the rankings. They also are creating a more formal guide. So if you want to check that out, if you go to fantasyref.ca slash presale, you can see information of a cool guide that you could buy from Fantasy Ref. So anyways, Fantasy Ref helped us come up with some lists of players that uh, they gave us the data so we could look into not only players we got right and wrong, but also like how we did compared to other projectors for other players. So Brian, why don't you tell us, I'm going to give the show to you, who are we going to be talking about this week? What category and then what players fit in this category? Okay, this week's Almanac Review topic is very friendly to ourselves. We're, we're going easy on us to begin. We're going to pat ourselves on the back and talk about a couple, uh, a handful of players that we were right about and others were wrong. So what we did is we saw how we did, uh, like how close we were in our projections to a player's performance. And then we, we checked how far off the other projectors were on average from us. So these are projections we nailed that we were different on than a lot of the other projectors out there. Um, and we got it. So it paid off. And trust me, there are probably many more where we were way off from the average projection and it didn't work out. But here's a bunch that did. Beginning with, can I just go into it, Elon? Let's do it. Okay. Beginning with Andreas Athanasiu, who uh, we talked about on the Almanac uh, this past summer as somebody who we loved his shot rates. Like he was leading Detroit forwards by a fair margin in shots and shot attempts. But he was having this problem, which is that he wasn't getting enough of a sniff of good deployment situations. He was getting third line minutes tossed all around the lineup 
but he was putting up essentially top line or at least top six shot generation numbers. So we said that if deployment could improve for him, he's going to be someone who can make an impact. And we said, if you see Athanasiu crack a solid power play unit and playing 17 minutes a game, uh, take a chance on him. And so we did. Elon, I had him projected at 52 points. You had him projected at 50 points. Uh, the average projection for him was 39 points. And he ended up with 54 points. We excited, exceeded all of our expectations. And the reason he did that, uh, well, was not because of the start of the year. Athens, he started the season in the dregs of the middle six, which is what we were afraid would happen. Uh, and his time on ice actually dropped a bit early on, but slowly but steadily, his time on ice and deployment rose through the year and crescendoed into first-line territory by the end of the year, thanks somewhat to the departure of Gustav Nyquist. Uh, by the last third of the season, Andreas Athanasiu was averaging 18 minutes a night, which was beyond our wildest dreams from the Almanac. And as we suspected, uh, Athanasiu made the most of it. In his last 31 games, Athanasiu had 13 goals and 11 assists for 24 points and 84 shots on goal. So almost three per night. Uh, and there was a marked change in his production. Like that That's amazing what he was able to do. And it's not a surprise when you look and you see what he was doing before those last 31 games. He's playing with uh, Luke Glendening and Darren Helm. And then suddenly they started melting away from his line combos. And in came Gustav Nyquist and Anthony Mantha and Tyler Bertuzzi. And even Thomas Vanek was an improvement over Glenn Denning and Helm, right? Athanasiu also saw an increase in his power play role. And that's also exactly what we hoped for. And through all this, the most important thing was that if Athanasiu was going to get this bump in deployment, he needed to hold his rate stats where they'd been in limited bottom six minutes. And he did that while he was on an actual honest-to-goodness scoring line and a top power play role for a 64-point pace over the final two months of the season. So the question is now, can Athanasiu do this again? I think yes. I think why not? He's got that big deployment. Uh, He made the most of it. So why wouldn't, like, Detroit could use some offense, especially because they've traded away Gustav Nyquist now. Uh, one really interesting thing to watch about Athanasiu next year, and we'll get at this in this year's Almanac, is that uh, he might be one of these guys who converts at a higher than average uh, shooting percentage. Uh, like, he's shot 70%, he's shot 19%, he's taking a lot of shots on net, and he seems legitimately dangerous. And I know there was some debate over whether he was just getting lucky or whether he was actually dangerous, and I think he's trending towards being actually dangerous, like an above 15% shooter. And that's really exciting considering how many pucks Athanasiu tends to throw on net. So that's why, uh, I don't know, like we'll do some more work in the summer to really research if he can be a 64-point player over an 82-game season next year. But he's certainly not going to be projected for 39 points again by the likes of the rest of the guides you might read. Yeah, well, I definitely no one is going to be projecting him for 38 points again next season. Those times are definitely behind us because, like you said, now he's getting decent deployment. We talked about the Red Wings at the end of the season, right? Like Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, and Athanasiu all were so amazing at the end of the year. I was getting really excited. Of course, Philip Hronik was also doing well. I was like, oh man, what is this team? They're looking so, like, they're getting all these goals. Plus they have Philip Zadina coming in next season, you'd imagine. So I feel like, yeah, 
Athos is probably going to get to play with at least one, maybe a couple good players. And I'll be very excited to see what they do. We'll have to make this big decision of, are we going to project him for like 64 points? Like you said, that what he was pacing for at the end of the season. Are we going to be more conservative and just keep him at... Uh, let's see here. What did he have overall on the season? He had 54 points, so a 58-point pace. Even like projecting for 60 points seems like not conservative, but it kind of is, right? If you're saying that he got 58 points overall, 58-point pace overall, but a lot of that was due to the end of the season when he had better deployment. That's the deployment we expect him to have next season. Then why shouldn't he be able to do better than that? So that'll be really fun. And yeah, if somehow he falls late in your drafts, I'm really into Andres Athanasiu, especially if your league counts shots. It's always great to get those players that you could depend on. And he had 216 shots this past season, his first time over 200, and hopefully not the last, only 24 years old. So it'll be really fun to see uh, what he has moving forward. So Brian, that's great. We got Athanasiu right. Uh, William, actually one of our patrons, just posted on the Facebook group. He was like listing a bunch of players and asking who his keeper should be. And Athanasiu was on the list. And Andre Kasha was on the list, as was Philip Grubauer, I believe. So in the end, we were all just saying keep Grubauer because he's like clearly cementing himself as a starting goalie. But if I would have suggested one of the skaters, I probably would have been juggling between Kasha and Athanasiu. Kasha is a guy who, you know, we still didn't get to see what he could do because he got injured again. Athanasiu seems like a more sure thing. Kasha could be very interesting. Uh, I don't know. We, we don't really have to get into that conversation. But I feel like both of these guys could be really good value picks going to next season. So William has a fun decision to make if he can keep either of these guys. Yeah, for sure. And Athanasiu uh, is a legit consideration when you're thinking about that tier of player. I think I'd still prefer Kasha. I think the ceiling's higher. But Athanasiu, and it's funny, like I'm, I'm going back looking at our Almanac, Elon, and we included a change log in it. And if people go back and listen to our almanac, they'll hear us say 45 points for Athens CU. But we did change it uh, in late. You changed your projection in late August, and I changed mine about a week later for Athens CU when we heard that Henrik Zetterberg wasn't likely to play in 1819. And we thought that was a great opening for Athens CU to become the second line center, which didn't happen to start the season, but eventually it did, which is what got him up close to where we projected him. Cool. Man, Brian, I'm feeling so great right now. Like, who's, tell, who's next? Who else did we get right? Uh, another guy we got right that most others didn't was Jacob Vrana. So he ended up with 47 points, which Elon was our average projection. I had 50, you had 45. So you you, you averaged that out. We had for him at 47 and a half when, uh, again, the pack of projectors averaged, uh, on average, had him at 39 points. So why did we have Vrana higher. I, I said in our almanac that we saw two reasons for optimism with Vrana. First was that this was going to be Vrana's age 22 season. And so we saw a lot of great things in the small contributions he's made that he can just keep growing, keep taking steps forward. And also, uh, I, it's, it feels like ancient history by now, but he was in Barry Trotz's doghouse and uh, he could never really get rolling. So we thought that a new coach and a fresh start, start would do him some good. Uh, and it did. His time on ice rose to 14 minutes per game. This is Jacob Vrana again, which wasn't quite as high as we'd hoped. Um, and he also didn't actually see a rise in his power play role. Of course, it's pretty hard to crack that top power play in Washington. Things are pretty set there. Um, so that's why he didn't quite get as high. Elon, I said 50 points and he ended up with 47. And that's because his time on ice was still limited. It was better, but still limited. But the good news is that Verona's shot rates did stay pretty. And uh, in the limited time he did see each night, his line mates were great. Now, I don't know if you remember, Elon, I was on a campaign to say that Jacob Verona should spend more time on the top line than Tom Wilson. 
1819, which even with Tom Wilson penalties and suspensions, didn't bear out. I wasn't successful. Uh, the top line is Ovechkin's line, and Verona rarely played with Ovechkin. Oshie and Connolly were the two most frequent guys lining up on Verona's opposite wing. But Verona did spend 80% of his five-on-five minutes playing with either Evgeny Kuznetsov or Nicholas Backstrom as his center, which automatically puts him or anyone in a position to succeed. Uh, so that's a really good sign. And again, uh, unfortunately, still saw like third line minutes, even though he had top six line mates. But let's see if in his age 23 season, Verona can keep chipping away, getting more shifts in minutes, because at this point, he's right on the doorstep of breaking 50. He's playing with the right guys. Uh, Verona just needs to get out there more often. He's trending slowly but surely in that direction. So I'm going to feel confident when we do our almanac saying uh, that Vrana is going to be a 50 point player for starters. And we'll see if maybe we can add a couple more to his projection. Uh, And I wonder, I don't know what the pack will think if they'll still be low on him. I'm actually going to be lower on him, Brian. So one thing I'm very concerned about with Verona is, I don't know if you recall, in the playoffs, he got bumped back to the third line again. He wasn't playing with Kuznetsov or Backstrom. It was uh, Haglin playing with Oshi and, I guess, Kuznetsov or Backstrom. Oh, yeah, Ovechkin was mainly playing with Backstrom, it looks like, at least in the last game. But yeah, then TJ Oshi got injured, so then Verona got back playing with Kuznetsov. But yeah, it was Carl Hagelin that bumped him down to the bottom six. So it just seems like Verona still hasn't really cemented himself. Like when the going got tough and they needed that production, they went with Carl Hagelin. And said, I don't even know if Carl Hagelin's going to be back with the Capitals next year. But it, it gives me cause for concern. Like he's not a guy like Athanasiu. I feel like with Athanasiu, I'm like pretty confident that he's going to get top six minutes moving forward. That seems to be the direction. With Verona, it's likely for sure. But I don't know if it's like 100% yet. And yeah, that Tom Wilson thing we should mention, uh, he had a pretty good season, right? He had a 52-point pace overall, uh, 40 points in 63 games. So definitely credits Tom Wilson. I guess maybe when we get to the projections that we got wrong, I'd imagine some people thought he would continue that nice pace that he was on in the playoffs last year. And those who did, you know, really uh, got themselves a nice win in their hat because Wilson was a very viable guy in fantasy, especially in leagues that count hits. 200 hits in only 63 games to go along with his 52-point pace. Yeah, much to my chagrin, Tom Wilson remained very viable this year. It seemed like if you had him in a cap league that has hits at $5 million, that's that's pretty good value. I, I'm I'm surprised he lived Amaz- up to it. Amazing value, Brian. Yeah. Say, say the words. <laughs> it's, it's amazing value. Uh, so great for you, Tom Wilson owners. We'll see if he can do it for the next five years that he signed at $5.2 million for. Elon, you bring up a good point about uh, Jacob Vrana not showing up when the Caps needed him to also not when a lot of his fantasy owners needed him to like, this is sort of a, a Pyrrhic victory because I had Vrana. I believed in him. He was on my roster for large stretches of the season. I think he panned out for me like once or twice out of maybe like 11 or 12 streaming tries. So it just wasn't really working out. It'll be really interesting to see uh, the Caps have a lot of uh, movement happening in their forward core next season. Haglund's uh, UFA, Burakovsky and Yaskin are RFAs. Brett Connolly is a UFA. Uh, Devontae Smith-Pally, well, they don't seem terribly committed to him, but he's a UFA. Verona himself is an RFA. So we're going to see, uh, we're going to see, I don't know, hopefully all these contracts and how it shakes out is going to give us some sense of the order of things in Washington heading into next season. Uh, what, what, that's it. All right. Yeah, I think I'm going to probably end up putting him down for 45 points once again. I can't see myself going to 50, but of course, we'll do lots of research. We should actually say we've been like saying it without actually saying it. Yes, like Brian and I, we've decided 
barring, I don't know, some really crazy unforeseen circumstance, we're going to do an almanac again next season. So for everyone who supported us and bought it last year, we really hope you'll come back along with us this year. It was a ton of work, but it was so much fun. It was great hearing your feedback. And I think we've learned a lot. I think we're going to come out with an even better product next year. So just as a reminder, this is like, 31 chapter one chapter per team where we're gonna basically it's like an episode of keeping carlson every single chapter where we're gonna break down every single fantasy relevant player and end each one coming up with a projection and if you buy the almanac you get you know the list of projections and you get to watch live if you want a lot of stuff like we're still working out everything but actually we have set up a page for now so you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash almanac if you want to get in on the pre-sale pre-sale is officially open if you're a patron we're gonna have a discount offer for patrons so you can maybe wait on that. But yeah, very, very excited for that. We'll, we'll let the patrons know how to do that. So I guess I should also mention, since we didn't do an ad, Brian, it's been an ad-free episode of Keeping Carlson, uh, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You could sign up for any amount to support us over the summer. You could sign up for a buck a month and you can get in on our patron cast, which we're going to do on Wednesday, which is going to be a lot of fun. You can get in on the Facebook group. You can get in on these like Dave rankings that are awesome. So, and plus you'll get this offer to get a discounted version of the almanac pre-order so keepingcarlson.com slash patron and keepingcarlson.com slash almanac should get you everywhere you need to go and yeah hopefully people will uh, buy the almanac uh if we don't do it uh, obviously we'll figure out a way to give you a refund if you do the pre-sale so you know risk-free if you trust me i'll, I'll make it right but we're i think we're gonna do it it's gonna be a lot of fun uh brian so do you have any other players you want to discuss that we got right that the others got wrong? this is fun right like the next few episodes we're gonna be talking about all the players we got wrong and beating ourselves up over it so we're, that's why we're gonna take this quick little victory lap with like five players or whatever before <laughs> we really dig into why we're big dumb idiots and actually try to learn some lessons but maybe we're even learning lessons from looking at what we got right first so yeah who do you want to talk about next well, I'll mention another cap why we're there while we're in Washington. Uh, John Carlson on the blue line uh, had an outstanding 2017-18 season. Uh, he had 68 points. And we looked at his point totals and said, yeah, he can do that again. Uh, he had crazy power play deployment. He saw 77% of all the available power play minutes for blue liners in Washington. And we were like, why would they change that? It worked really well. They won the Stanley Cup. And uh, so we stuck to our guns. Elon, I, I said he'd get 68 again. You said he'd get 65. The average projector said 59. So a lot of people saw regression from him. And he ended up beating even my optimistic projection. He ended up with 70 points this season, which is fantastic. Uh, and the reason he was able to do that was... Uh, well, exactly what we said on the Almanac. His his power play percentage not only held, like the share of minutes that he got, it actually rose. He Instead of seeing 77% share of his team's power play minutes, he saw an 84% share of his team's power play minutes, which adds up to about another 24 total power play minutes on the season. Uh, that was huge for him. One really interesting piece here is that he actually took about 50 fewer shots than the previous year uh, and only had about two fewer goals, which still meant that his shooting percentage stayed about the same, but uh, he took fewer shots. He got more assists. Uh, way to go, John Carlson, for proving all the haters wrong. Uh, yeah, uh, like he's definitely a guy who like, I'm going to be interested to know where we're even going to rank him next year uh, among other defensemen, right? Like I feel like last season it was obvious you go Carlson Burns Hedman, and then you had a group of sort of the next group, which I believe a lot of people would have like Klingberg Gosses for who definitely not going to be there next year. And like John Carlson, I feel like this year it really becomes interesting. Like, or I mean projecting for next year because John Carlson, I think was like more valuable than 
Hedman in most things. Like I'm going to rank uh, in the couple scoring. So the Keeping Carlson Ultra Patriot Fantasy League, we have like five points for a goal, three points for uh, an assist, and then some hits and block stuff. I'm just like ranking all the defensemen by their average points. Brent Burns, number one. Latang, Ogiordano in the conversation. Yeah, but John Carlson is there ahead of Eric Carlson, who you know, he had injury trouble. I'm looking at just average points per game. John Carlson was basically even, but a little bit ahead of Eric Carlson. And yeah, ahead of Hedman. Like, I feel like John Carlson might be the defenseman that you draft second or third. Like, I say Brent Burns is the obvious number one in, like, any format. And then Chris Letang, you know, you have your injury concerns. Mark Giordano, like, he had an amazing season, but hard to project him repeating that. And we'll get into him, of course, at some point, uh, definitely in the Almanac. Um, But yeah, I feel like John Carlson might be even with Eric Carlson in terms of potential fantasy value for next year? Is that crazy to say? I don't think so, because with Eric Carlson, well, a lot is up in the air about where he's going to land, and everyone is wondering about his health in general. Like, is he playing injured now in the playoffs, or is this an injury that's just never going to go away? So, yeah, John Carlson seems like a a reliable player. What he's going to need is for Alex Ovechkin to continue uh, beating off any kind of age-related regression uh, that really helped John Carlson. So that would be a factor for me next year in thinking, ah, maybe it's time to just take him down a few no. points because we can't expect quite as much out of him. I'm Why? saying if, if I, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what I'm going to do. I'm saying if I were to take him a few <laughs> points down, that would probably be the reason why. Other Otherwise, I can't really see one. I mean, John Carlson is not uh, like a, a young player himself, right? He's been in the league for a decade now. Um, so he's going to have his own age-related regression to work off soon enough. But uh, like that, that top, uh, that top power play in Washington is just so deadly, and he's doing such a good job there. So why not? It, isn't it crazy that the Capitals went out and got Kevin Shattenkirk? Like just in retrospect, to feel like they needed uh, another power play quarterback when they had John Carlson there. Like he was a fifty-five point player for a while, but that's because they never fully committed to him. Yeah, well, I guess that was the the push they needed when they saw that Shattenkirk wasn't even that good for them. Like, And they saw John Carlson could basically do the same thing, maybe better. And then they learned the lesson. And now look at Kevin Shattenkirk. I just saw on Roto World a couple days ago that the Rangers might even buy him out. So he'll be an interesting guy to discuss. Maybe he'll be a good sleeper pick late in drafts. But we said that this year, and that didn't pan out. So I don't know if I'm going to go too hard on the Kevin Shattenkirk train for next year. But he'll be an interesting guy to watch. it. Yeah, okay, this is my dream draft, Brian. Do you think this is even possible in a 12-team league? Could I get like Connor McDavid number one? And then Sagan and John Carlson at the turn at the end of round two and the start of round three. That's probably uh, very optimistic, but that that would be my dream. I would. I be think like, it's totally doable. The, like Sagan and Carlson are both first round caliber players that a lot of people don't consider them to be for like you know. There's everyone thinks you know you have Carlson, Burns, Hedman at the top of the defense pile. And then there's a break for however many rounds until someone's ready to take the next one. Mm. Uh, so you, I think you could steal John Carlson there. The question what? is, do you need to steal him there? Oh, come on. If, you're not going to get him in the fourth round. Like <laughs> You shouldn't try. Yeah, that's insane. Like, uh, But yeah, I'm looking at our patron rankings now. Like I said, we're up to 17. John Carlson not only hasn't been ranked, but he doesn't even have a vote yet. Actually, I'm currently on a vote for Andre Vasilevsky. But give me freaking give me John Carl. I'm switching my vote. I'm writing it in right now. I'm switching to Carlson. Boom. John. Wow, Carlson. the typing sounds really make it convincing. Like we, it we know you're doing it. Yeah, you could believe me. If you're a patron, you would know. Uh, you'd be able to believe me because you'll see it right there on the Facebook group. Okay. Uh, who do you got next for us? Who else did we nail? Uh, we <laughs> also nailed a former teammate of Nail, Nathan McKinnon. 
in Colorado, which oh, is wow. crazy, right? Like Nathan McKinnon. That was a deep would... pull. That was a deep pull. A former teammate of Neil <laughs> yeah. Yakubov. Nathan yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like you would think every, especially after this season, it's like, was anybody not convinced that Nathan McKinnon could continue being Nathan McKinnon after his massive 2017, 18 campaign. And the answer is yes. A lot of people remained unconvinced that McKinnon uh, could keep that number quite as high as it was in 17, 18. Um, so in 2018, 19, Elon uh, McKinnon ended up with 99 points. I projected him for a hundred. You had him at 95 and the average projector had him at 91. So uh, about a 10 points, difference there in the in our projections for McKinnon so the reason why I was so high on him going into 1819 was uh, in the almanac I said that uh, his 1718 performance uh, was elite any way you sliced it McKinnon had massive shot rates uh, big raw shot totals extra power play time and I did point out a few places where regression was possible for Nathan McKinnon heading into 18-19. Uh, first, his shooting percentage. He was shooting only 7% over three years heading into 17-18, at which point he was a 13% shooter. So almost doubled uh, his established shot shot percentage. Uh, and then in 18-19, he did hold it up uh, at 11%. So he did stay closer to that 13% uh, rather than falling back down to the 7%. So that's one place where he was able to, to hold off regression. Uh, another place where he was challenged to hold it off was as five on five on ice shooting percentage. It was way up at 10 and a half percent in 17, 18 that did regress uh, two percentage points down to a more average 8% in 18, 19. Also McKinnon's five on five IPP in 17, 18 uh, went from being historically in the mid sixties all the way up to 86%. And so that did regress back down to 70% in 1819. So there are two places is on a shooting percentage and IPP at five on five where McKinnon regressed as expected. So the question is, how did he still manage 99 points? Well, the first reason is that he played a full 82 games. Remember that in 1718, he had 97 points in 74 games, which means that McKinnon was pacing for 108 points that season. So like even considering those regressions that we thought might happen, that still doesn't take him far down below 100 if you're just doing like a rough regression based on that stuff. Um, the second reason why McKinnon was able to still have a near 100 point season was because the Colorado power play continued getting all these power play opportunities. We talked about the in the almanac about how Colorado was drawing all these penalties. Can we count on them to repeat that skill or was it just a random thing? Uh, it Well, we I don't know if it was random still. They seem like they can legitimately draw penalties as the Avalanche led the league in penalties drawn once again uh, in 2018-19. And they made their opponents pay with a 22% success rate on the power play. And so McKinnon actually improved upon his 32 power play points in 17-18, picked up 37 power play points in 18-19. Wow. And the third reason why McKinnon still managed a near 100-point season this year is that uh, he is a freaking workhorse. Elon, guess how many players, how many forwards in the NHL averaged more time on ice per game in all strengths? So penalty kill, power play, even strength than Nathan McKinnon. Zero. Uh, I mean, that would be really great, but six. So (laughs) you have have McDavid and Dreisaitl at the top. Then you have Patrick Kane, Barkov, Kopitar, Couturier, 
Nathan McKinnon. Uh, that's the list of the seven players who averaged more than 22 minutes of ice time. And the amazing thing is all those guys played between 78 and 82 games. Like, that's insane. These guys are playing every single night uh, at all strengths, just like thrown on the ice in every situation uh, to exhaustion. And look at McKinnon still tearing it up in the playoffs. In fact, you look at the list, he is the only guy still playing. Uh, A lot of like teams that miss the playoffs do that to their players. But the Avalanche have a player who just squeaked in and still is bringing them through the playoffs right now. Uh, So that is why Nathan McKinnon was able to meet our lofty expectations of another 100-point season. And Elon, it's very hard for me to imagine Anybody thinking McKinnon will not get at least within a couple points of 100 points again in 1920, right? I I agree with you, though it is pretty crazy, this power play opportunities thing, right? Like, I thought that was my, like, brilliant hot take of the almanac. Like, if I had the one smart thing I said, it was like Colorado had so many power play opportunities. So if they fall back to league average, then, you know, even if they continue scoring like a 22% rate on the power play, like you said, they did this year. Like, uh, you know, like they're still going to have just so many fewer power play goals just from fewer opportunities, and that would hurt McKinnon. And yet, it's crazy. They once again led the league in power play opportunities. Now, it's like, I still feel like it's unlikely. I, I'd love for someone to go back in history. I guess we could go back and do this research and see how often has a team stayed the number one team in power play opportunities over like 10 years or like five years. Like, it feels like maybe this was lucky again. Probably there's like some skill. Obviously, there is skill in drawing penalties, but like they probably will fall from number one. I, I just feel like it. They won't be number one for a third year in a row. So that might be a few fewer power play points available, but I still think like 100 points for Nathan McKinnon is probably like within reach for sure, like 95 to 100 points. I'll definitely be happy to project that again. But that's the one thing I'm still watching for for next season. Like, will Colorado still get all these power play opportunities? Because they had 286. If they fall to league average, like 237 was 15th in the league. That's like 50 fewer opportunities. That's going to be, you know, like 10 fewer points if I'm doing the quick math in my head. Well, they score on 22% of their opportunities. So yeah, 22%. Oh, you, you figured it out. About 11 fewer power play points available. And that's not to say Nathan McKinnon would be in on all 11, but he'd be on like, I eight. don't know, you'd <laughs> think or seven or eight of them. Yeah. Um, drawing penalties is a repeatable skill, but I don't know if anyone's looked at it on a team level. You know, like if, if a team ever exceeds uh, all the numbers of their individual players added up in terms of penalties drawn, it'd be, know, a, it'd be a fun thing to look at for our Almanac this year. We need an intern. If anyone's interested in becoming an unpaid intern, <laughs> like do high schools still have this thing where you need volunteer hours in order to graduate? I know that was a thing in Ontario after I had graduated, but if that exists and if you're a high school student and you want some unpaid work doing research for our Almanac, uh yeah message us at keeping carlson or hit us up on the facebook group because we i feel like we say stuff like this all the time like someone should do this work uh, if someone wants to do it i don't know i feel like we we might do it as part of the almanac but if yeah if some uh if some high school person wants to do it for us by all means oh the other thing remember last we'll episode shout you out on the show hey that's so much that's valuable payment, think right of there. the exposure we'll tweet we'll like tweet your handle out so like to our hundreds and hundreds of followers they'll see your twitter handle uh also, we last episode, Brian, remember we made a shout out if anyone wants us to advertise their product <laughs> on our show. We're so happy to do that. Uh, no one no one took us up on it. So I, I, I'll say that I like, uh, I don't know, whatever you want me to. 
So I, I'm within reason. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm saying this. We're somebody, fine to not have ads. We don't need ads. Test Elon on that. Uh, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson or write us keepingcarlson at gmail.com and see to what depths Elon will go. I feel like if you offer us $5 and no one <laughs> offers us more, we might as well just do it. So give us your lowball offer. We might <laughs> promote you on our next episode. Uh, Brian, are we done here? Do you want to do you want to pat ourselves on the back one one or two more players? Um. Yeah, we could do. Uh, we could do two more. Okay, let's do it. Why don't you say okay. both of them now? Let's let's do a lightning round. Well, I'm ready to. T- I'll talk about one quickly and then the other quickly because I I just need to look up some stuff about the the other one. Okay. While you while you talk, <laughs> let's do it. Okay. So Evgeny Dadanov over in Florida. Uh, the pack had him. Uh, getting 63 points. Elon, you and I were more optimistic than that. Uh, I said 72, you said 75. The actual number for Dadanov was 70. So we did well in expecting big things from Evgeny Dadanov. And this one didn't go so deep. I think the one thing we were worried about in the Almanac is Florida had Huberto, Hoffman, Dadanov, Barkov, and Trocek. And we weren't sure... If Dadanov, like the, there's a five forwards, if Dadanov had room on the top power play unit. At the same time, we mentioned how Dadanov uh, did not really capitalize on his power play role a whole lot in 17-18. Yeah, he played on the top unit, but he only picked up 13 points uh, doing so. Uh, we saw a lot of sustainable numbers in his uh, in his underlying numbers. Uh, he paced for 72 points last year. We said, hey, he could probably do it again, maybe even improve a little bit. And uh, there he was with 70 points this year, helping prove us right. He did stay on the top power play for the majority of the year. Uh, Trocek's injury made that a little easier uh, to handle for him, but he was remarkably consistent. Uh, Dadanov scored exactly as many goals, although he played eight more games, as he did last season. Uh, he had five more assists, and seven more shots on goal, uh, four more power play points. So all everything was like pretty much even with the year before in his age 29 season. Heading into his age 30 season, I'm so optimistic he's a 70-point player. Yeah, I mean, I'm hashtag Team Dadunov all the way. You know that about me, Brian. Like, I don't see why he can't do it again. Like, he was great in the KHL. He came in. He did exactly what we said he would do. And he continues to do it as long as he stays on the top power play, which he was able to this season. It seems like Vincent Trocek might not be the top power play player that we assumed that he was. And, of course, again next year, we'll have to figure out what Florida does again with these forwards. But I'm very confident with Dadunov, especially if he's playing with Barkov. Because Barkov, I think, is a real stud. Like, I, I can see us projecting him for 100 points next year. And, you know, maybe you'll say that's a bit too high. But, like, I really love Dadanov. And I love Barkov even more, which makes me love Dadanov more. It's a, yeah. it's a nice cycle of codependence there. <laughs> that was another piece of our projections. We were like, we think Barkov can take another step forward. And I think he did establish himself as, like, an all-world top-line NHL centerman this year. So that also helped Dadanov uh, keep up with his 17, 18 point totals. Yeah. Okay. Print, by the way, Brian, Prince in the chat room here says, imagine what Dadnov could do with Coach Q behind the bench. Do you think a coaching change could be, I mean, it can't be good for him because he already had great deployment. The only thing is, is maybe it could be bad for him if he gets bumped from playing with Barkov. So maybe that's like a little wrench where we don't know how the lines will shake out with a new coach. But for now, I'm going to assume that Dadnov stays with Barkov. Yeah. I think okay. that's safe to, safe to assume for now. Uh, okay. Finally, last player. Uh, that we're going to talk about that we got right uh, and others didn't was Jack 
Eichel, believe it or not. Uh, he was a lightning rod for debate as Elon. Well, I'll, I'll remind everyone at the end of this exactly what a bet was that we made preseason. Uh, the pack had Eichel getting 76 points. Uh, he ended up with 82 points, which is just one less than uh, I had him for. I had him for 83 points. Elon, you rented up to 85, which put you a little further out than I was. Uh, but we were pretty much bang on in projecting Jack Eichel. The one concern we had with him, and I wonder if this was the concern with other projectors, was that uh, Ryan O'Reilly, this was his first year not in Buffalo, and he was doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. And so Eichel was going to be tasked with having to do that. And uh, I I think the concern was that that was going to take away from his ability to put up offense. Uh, In fact, it didn't. And that's more or less the end of the story. He kept his five-on-five numbers uh, pretty similar and he did improve on the power play. There was a, a really ugly number uh, from his power play efforts in 1718. It was 4%. That was his shooting percentage. So uh, that was unsustainably low. He got it up to 12% this past year. His IPP was also really low two seasons ago. That also uh, regressed in a friendly way for Jack Eichel. So regression worked in his favor so that he ended up with 26 power play points, six more than he had in 1718. And that helped him uh, pace. He, he pays for 87 points. Uh, if he played all 82 games, he ended up with 82 points in 77 games. Uh, but his point pace was about 10 points better this year. And that's without Ryan O'Reilly around to help take uh, some of those defensive matchups. Although I still don't think the, the, the Sabres used Eichel for a lot of those defensive matchups. But it always helps to have you know someone else to attract attention or to take on heavy assignments when your coach might want them to. Uh, Eichel was sort of uh, the only player uh, that the Sabres could really lean on this season. I, I guess you could add Jeff Skinner, although he came and went. Um, Sam Reinhardt. To some extent, right? He also came and went at times. Well, that that was the line, right? That was the top line. And it'll be interesting yeah. next season because Jeff Skinner is a UFA. So Buffalo's going to have to figure something out. A lot like the Islanders. Are they going to re-sign Skinner? Maybe they could go after some of these Islanders guys. Maybe they can uh, get Eberly and Anders Lee and Brock Nelson. And who knows? But like Buffalo's going to have to get some players for Eichel to play with here. Eichel and Reinhardt, right? Like Casey Middlestat will be a year older. They've got Ristolainen, Darlene on D. If they even keep Ristolainen. Buffalo also to figure out their goaltending. Carter Hutton wasn't so, so great. And Linus Allmark... I guess we hope that one day he'll be like at this amazing starting goal. And I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but uh, Allmark also kind of disappointed in the few starts he got near the end of the season. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It'll be fun to think about the Sabres going to next season. Luckily, we do the Almanac after the free agent deadline of July 1st passes. So we have a little bit more information and we'll know who Eichel's going to have to play with to help him get up to a similar point pace again. Brian, yeah. it seems like all the players that you listed... So I'm just talking up a storm right now. Uh, Brian, it seems like all the players you listed here were players that we got right and the majority got wrong and we were like higher than the majority. I don't know if maybe in another episode we're going to be able to pat ourselves on the back for players that we like got <laughs> right by saying that they're going to get lower. I'd love to do some more padding here because right now we're saying all the players that we got right by saying they're going to be better than what everyone else thought. But there must be some others in the other direction. Okay. Uh, you would think so. The way I was parsing the data, this is what I came up with is the most obvious examples, but we'll also have to parse it the other way to see... Uh, to, to see if there were others. And I would love to pat ourselves on the backs for another episode. Yeah. Coming up in our Almanac reviews, we're going to talk about players that we were too low on where other projectors were close to being right. Uh, players we were too high on where other projectors were close to being right on average. Um, so we're going to we're gonna point out our glaring errors and try to learn from them. Uh, one thing that was not a glaring error, Elon, that 
I was laughed off of the podcast for suggesting at the start of the season, I said, Sebastian Ajo is going to outscore Jack Eichel. Do you know what their point totals were this season? Oh my God. But you're going to account for point pace, right? Like, give me the point paces. Oh, well, if I counted for point pace, I'd lose. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but I was told I would be so Jack Eichel, 82 points in 77 games. Sebastian Ajo, 83 points in 82 games. I bet if you added his playoff point pace, though, like he'd be ahead of Eichel. Yeah, for sure. Well, actually, well, I was a little bit below a point per game, so actually, it would hurt his overall. Uh, <laughs> but right. uh, I that you nailed it, Brian. Like Aho was the superstar that you expect him to be, and next season, I don't think people will be projecting Aho like so far away from Eichel like they were this year. So no, definitely, you could pat yourself on the back for coming close. But I'm pretty sure if we go back to the recorded footage, we were talking about point pace and not just total points because obviously it's not fair to like ding okay, me. But- I knew I was taking a swing and I was way closer than anyone would have thought. Brian, congratulations. You're a brilliant genius. That's (laughs) why I do the show with you every couple weeks over the summer and every week during the regular season because I get to talk to this brilliant, brilliant brain of Brian Com. And I hope everyone else enjoyed hearing from the brilliant brain of Brian Com and the inane ramblings of Elon Dubrowski in this week's episode of Keeping Carlson. But that takes us to the end. So thanks everyone for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening to us over the summer. I know the, the advice doesn't seem as prescient. It's not something you need to deal with right now, but I hopefully we're planting some seeds that are going to help you draft well and build your team well going into next season. So if you like the show, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. We, once in a while, come up with clever tweets. I had my really brilliant tweet, Brian, while I was on vacation. I thought about it. Wait a minute. If Columbus and Carolina go to the finals in the East, and then if San Jose and St. Louis go to the finals in the West, that'll be two C teams in the East and two S teams in the West. Has that ever happened that the conference finals have both had teams whose location labels started with the same letter? So I like wrote out that tweet. I was expecting like a thousand retweets and likes turns out like this happened like in 2008, like very recently there was Dallas and Detroit and then philly and pittsburgh so whatever i thought it was this anyways you follow us on twitter you get gold like that brian also has some pretty clever tweets on there as well sometimes uh you could uh, like i said uh keepingcarlson.com slash patron you could support us as a patron ignore everything you see on that site about like you need to pay five dollars to get stuff over the summer just sign up as a patron you get everything that's listed there okay we'll add you to the group we'll invite you to all the patron cast it'll be a good time uh, you get the show notes also and then also keepingcarlson.com slash almanac if you want to get in early on the pre-sale, help get Brian and I pumped knowing people are actually going to uh, listen to this thing once again. We'd love you to go ahead and do that. And you get the pre-sale and you're going to get every single chapter when it comes out, like September 1st, the latest. But who knows, maybe earlier. Definitely after free agency, that's what we'll start, you know, planning the recordings once we know how these teams are shaking out. Uh, okay, so that's our episode. Brian, If uh, unless you have something else, I think we can cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. Uh, we have a lot of people who have joined in lately to on this $1 thing. So again, uh, keepingcarlson.com slash patron is the place to go. Uh, welcome to our newest ones. Uh, William, Chrissy, Mike, Tony, glad to have you on board. Oh, and Wesley, you too. Everybody. Uh, Okay, this episode was researched with help from uh, Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Charting Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto Worlds, and Yahoo. But most of all, Elon, 
Fantasy Ref. Can you remind everyone where they can go to uh, to get the Fantasy Ref goods, the, the the projecting, the projectors? Yeah, that would be pretty crazy. They were projecting the projectors for next season. They're not doing that, but they are ra- rating the projectors. Yeah, fantasyref.ca, and that can take you to their rankings and their pre-sale for their guides. Check it out. They really help us out for this show. Great job as always, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all again in a couple of weeks where we'll break down, I guess, the majority of the third round of the NHL playoffs. Cannot wait, and we will also hold ourselves accountable for some of the errors we made in last uh, last Almanac. So if you don't like us, uh, you'll really want to hear that episode because okay. you're still listening. You're hate listening uh, to all of Keeping Carlson. All right. Uh, until then, until two weeks from now, please keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>